This is State of Water. This is State of Water. This is State of Water. State of Water coming at you right now. State of Water, a podcast focusing on clean water issues and their relationship to policy, equity, community, and climate. Featuring captivating interviews with Michiganders from many walks of life, State of Water is the official podcast of the Clean Water Campaign for Michigan, a program of the nonprofit organization Title Track. Hey, this is Jenny from Title Track. If you resonate with what you're about to hear, put those feelings into action. Take the first step toward getting involved by going to titletrackmichigan.org slash contact to sign up for our mailing list. Welcome back, folks. We hope you're staying safe and healthy. Thank you so much for joining us. On this episode, our second release since the COVID-19 pandemic began here in Michigan, we feature a true local hero. Monica Lewis-Patrick, aka The Water Warrior, is the president and CEO of We the People of Detroit, an educator, entrepreneur, and a legendary human rights activist and advocate. Monica Lewis-Patrick is actively engaged in almost every struggle on behalf of Detroit residents. She's an active member of the People's Water Board Coalition, the U.S. Human Rights Network, the Inter-American Commission on Human Rights, and more. She was named to the World Water Justice Council in October of 2015, and as a former lead legislative policy analyst for Detroit City Council, Monica has authored legislation, conducted research, and delivered constituency services to thousands of city residents. We're so honored that she took the time to call in to Seth Bernard and have this truly moving conversation that you're about to hear. And we're so grateful for the work that she's continually engaged in. Here to introduce Monica is Seth Bernard. Monica, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Thank you for your dedication to justice. So grateful for you. Um, always a gift to be able to connect with you. Uh, first off, you know, water is a human right. The uh, affordable delivery of clean water is a human right. And we've seen that human right violated on a massive scale in the city of Detroit, one of the greatest cities in the world. Can you please share with us a brief overview of the Detroit water shutoffs and the work of We the People of Detroit from your personal perspective as a frontline community leader? Well, I, I have to be very uh, open and transparent with your audience, Seth. And first of all, let me just thank you uh, because I, I know that your work has been critical not only in, in terms of Michigan but throughout the nation to connect uh, with marginalized and most impacted communities to these struggles and to raising awareness to the human rights of water. Uh, but 
from our perspective, this work has been going on for a couple of decades now. There is a legacy of work and a body of work uh, that has been lifted in Detroit uh, really since the late 90s, where you had amazing leadership from people like the Honorable Councilwoman Watson and the late great Marianne McCaffey as legislative champions of a water affordability policy. But it was rooted in community because it was led by groups like People's Water Board, Michigan Welfare Rights, Sierra Club, and Food and Water Watch came together with other community leaders and persons from labor, understanding that if we were going to see uh, tens of thousands of Detroiters uh, denied access to water, that it would have repercussions uh, to the magnitude that we didn't even have the capacity to understand at the time. So those women, those warriors got together in 2005 and crafted what we now know as the water affordability plan for the city of Detroit that has now been Im uh, implemented in other parts of the country, but we have never seen the full implementation of such uh, a policy in our own city. Mm. Absolutely. And so in these last few years, um, you know, you've been on the front lines as over 100,000 people have had their water shut off. In the last month, we're facing a pandemic with people who still have their water shut off. Can you kind of walk me through the last month of your life? Well, the last month has been, uh, um, it's been about just putting one foot in front of the other. Uh, what we knew already is that since 2014, over 168,000 households have been shut off on water. Mm -hmm. What we also know is that many of those homes have not been provided a pathway to restoration uh, because we have had failed leadership at the local level uh, and a denial of really how pervasive the, the issue is. What we know in 2013 going into 2014 at the height of the contrived bankrupting of the city of Detroit, we were seeing about 8,000 households per month shut off from water. And I just want to share, Seth, we've always had a shutoff policy in Detroit, but it had never grown to the numbers that we were seeing pre-bankruptcy and what we've seen since then. Mm. And so what we know is that this is a systemic issue. What we know is that the city of Detroit actually provides water to about 40% of the uh, residents in the state of Michigan. So you've got about 3.8 million Michiganders drinking from a well and a water infrastructure system that was built on the backs of the residents of Detroit. And the residents of Detroit are still stuck with the legacy debt of that infrastructure, as well as the cost of maintaining that infrastructure. Mm -hmm. And so what we're looking at is a city that was built for 2 million uh, residents now has a population of about 718,000 residents. And then about 40% of those residents live in abject poverty and 60% of the population of the city of Detroit is headed up by single parents with anywhere from two to four children. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I would have to add on top of that, the fact that we are sitting in a, a zone that has been divested in for decades. Mm -hmm. When you look at the fact that the federal government uh, up until 1977 was contributing anywhere from 68 to 69 percent of the investment in our water infrastructure, and now what we've seen since 1977 is the divestment in that system, and we're only now seeing the federal government contribute about 7 to 9 percent 
in that infrastructure. So that gaping hole in terms of water investments is now resting on the backs of individual ratepayers. And on its face, wages and incomes have not kept pace with that increasing cost. Right, exactly. So this is a this is a long time geography of racial discrimination and sy- exactly. systemic oppression, um, which has been produced by generations of decision makers and political leaders. And so affordability is is a concept. I, I'm wondering if you can break down a, a lot of times. Affordability is based on a percentage of income. So. Can you speak to that in terms of like what is affordable on the national scale and what Detroiters are being asked to pay? Well, what we know right now, uh, based on research that was done by Dr. Elizabeth Mack at Michigan State University in 2017, uh, between 12 and 15 percent of the nation was challenged with the inability to afford their water. Uh, what we know in terms of what the regional book is, we know in places just three and a half hours from here, Chicago's water rates have tripled in the last eight years. Uh, about 45 minutes north of Detroit, Flint's water rates are on pace to double in the next 30 days. And then uh, about 45 minutes south of Detroit in Toledo, Ohio, water rates have doubled in the last 60 days. So just in looking at where we sit in the Great Lakes, you have a, a mounting issue of unaffordability playing out just around the Great Lakes. And then we'll add on top of that, some of what we are also seeing is that for families in this region, as I stated around the infrastructure, water, uh, the inability to afford your water doesn't just play out in terms of you not having access to it. But then in the state of Michigan, we have a policy that says that if you don't have running water for 72 hours, you're in imminent danger of having your children removed by uh, child protective custody. Uh, Mm. So Mm. those are the things that really drive Detroiters in terms of this fight for the human right to water. But the piece that I think is so brilliant that has actually been spearheaded by those amazing elders that were a part of shaping uh, the policy for water affordability, like Councilmember Watson and others, was mm-hmm. that they used the Human Rights Declaration and standards for mm-hmm. water affordability globally as the sort of the platform to build this policy on. Uh, the, US, the United Nations says that you should not be paying more than about three three to 3.5% of your income to access clean water and sanitation. Well, in Detroit, we know that the average Detroiter is paying about 10% or more Mm -hmm. to access their water. We also know that if you build on sanitation to that, it's somewhere in the ballpark of about 4.5% is what people should be paying for their water. Well, if you're looking at low-income families, and and I want to really break this down, Seth, Mm-hmm. I'll give you the example of a uh, a grandmother who is taking care of th- of two children because the parents one is incarcerated and one was killed, mm-hmm. and she's living on a fixed income of less than eight hundred dollars a month. So we're in the ballpark of about seven eighty. Uh, she then has to pay rent. Her rent is four fifty to live in a uh, one bedroom uh, house, and then she is. Uh, On top of that, she still has to meet her other obligations, such as her medications, uh, such as food. Uh, She gets a limited amount of food stamps. If those of us that have had teenagers, we know that a teenager eats a lot. 
so this grandmother now is dealing with the fact that she has a water bill for $400 because she had a small leak that she didn't identify until a month later. So that ran her bill up. But then her water agreement is that she must pay not only what is due now, she must add on what the uh, percentage of the past due amount. So for this grandmother on a fixed income who doesn't have the ability to earn any more money, uh, the children are not of an age where they can work yet. And then this family is actually going to be burdened with either they either pay what they are required to by the water department or they'll just be living without access. And imagine, you know, having a 12 year old girl starting her menstrual cycle and trying to wash up and clean herself and prepare herself with bottled water. Mm. So these are the challenges that families are facing. And I'm, I'm hearing stories from grandmothers and parents, uh, you know, that are getting very creative with how they're using water. We know that research that we've done at We the People of Detroit with the Community Research Collective, we had doctors on yesterday, one of our own doctors, Dr. Nadia Gaber, who's a medical uh, anthropologist and an MD. She was sharing that from the research we had all done together, that one of the biggest concerns in Detroit is that people had already, prior to the pandemic, didn't feel secure in terms of their water access, and that over 80% of those that had participated in the survey were actually getting their water from an unclean source that they knew was unclean. Mm. Mm. Thank you. Thank you for sharing, Monica. And so... We have seen some swift action take place in, in recent weeks. Some of this has been a, a long time coming. And I know you and I have seen decisive action from frontline leaders across the country in the face of this pandemic. And I think some some folks are waking up to the reality that we need to serve those, those most vulnerable. And we've needed to do this for a long time. So... Um, you and we, the people of Detroit, as well as the People's Water Board and Naira, our friend and colleague Naira with Flint, Flint Rising, um, yes. you know, have have received the support of some some of what we refer to as the big greens, like the Sierra Club and the Michigan League of Conservation Voters Clean Water Action, uh, to really lift up the necessity of getting people's water turned back on in the face of the pandemic. And our governor Gretchen Whitmer took executive action. Uh, on Saturday. Um, can you speak a little bit to this process and how this could serve as a model moving forward? Well, you know, we've, we've been uh, a part of a coalition of groups from around the state and across the country, the Michigan Water Unity Table, Freshwater Futures, uh, mm-hmm. Michigan LTV, uh, I mean, a long list policy link on a national level. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, there's even been international groups that we have collaborated with uh, throughout Europe and Ireland and other places that are advocating for the same uh, human access to water. Uh, but what we what we know at this point has been a critical part of this push has been from the ground up. Uh, What we know is that our big green partners uh, about two and a half years ago, many of them came to the table when we were attending every meeting we could think of, expressing to them that there needed to be uh, a more concerted and concise effort to ensure that there was not only access to water, but that water was affordable. Mm -hmm. And so I really applaud those groups that really saw and began to walk with us. Uh, along this path of 
amplifying the human right to water and water affordability. Mm-hmm. Uh, because what I know is prior to two and a half years ago, the only people that were talking about the issue of unaffordable water rates were activists across the nation. Uh, the big greens were not in those conversations. Many mm-hmm. times they were talking about con- conservation, which I also often remind people that black and brown people talk conservation too. They just use different words for it, like making a way out of no way. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we, we also began to do is we were educating and sharing information and uh, informing big greens about what was happening to community. I think that we found some friends before we needed them because none of us would have anticipated that we would end up in a pandemic. So we have seen many of them uh, be active around, especially this sort of sheltering in place moment where they are using uh, their abilities to tap into what's happening with legislation, weighing in on policies, uh, lifting most impacted communities' concerns to these national platforms that are now advising and creating these stimulus packages that are going to roll out in, from what I'm hearing about, anywhere from four to six different packages coming out. And so I've really appreciated the fact that they've taken the time, even in a pandemic, to say that we don't know it all, that we've got to rely on the most impacted and the most marginalized and those that are going to feel this the most severely to inform the policies that we're creating so that we're not continuing to do the same thing that we've been doing and then expecting a different result. Absolutely. And so speaking to that, um, Title Track, the organization that I'm the executive director of, has partnered with the Native Justice Coalition, uh, Cecilia LaPointe, our dear friend, yes. to, to, um, to really spearhead a campaign supporting Native elders up here in northern Michigan. And in the midst of all of your work pulling these long days, long weeks, um, you took the time to support this campaign and to, to share it and to lift it up, which really meant a lot to us. Can you speak a little bit to your dedication to indigenous rights and native justice and the role that that plays in the right to water? Yes, we're family, Seth. You know that. I mean, uh, so it was as soon as I saw it, it wasn't anything I had to ponder or think about. I did what I could within my means. And then I wanted to make sure it was being amplified with others. Uh, what we all and I know you're a part of this as well as uh, Cecilia and our beloved native community is that we're part of a beloved community. Mm. And what this moment is requiring us to do is to tap in at another level to our belovedness. And one of the things that we have uh, really valued about our relationship with Indigenous and First Nation family has been the fact that they have been so loving and sharing with us and helping us lift our spiritual consciousness about our relationship with water and that water is our relative. And so as we've gained more spiritual grounding in our relationship with water, and understanding our advocacy and our oneness with water, then I believe it's lifted our humanity to make sure that we're expressing our concerns and advocating for the human right to water, not just for Detroit and not just for Flint, but advocating for that right for all humanity. And so I really have so much gratitude for you and Cecilia and all those that are making sure that there's this interconnectedness and this ongoing dialogue so that we're learning from these best practices that have been in operation uh, since the beginning of time and since our people have walked the planet. 
And so we just have uh, an overflow of generosity and love uh, for all that our First Nation family has done uh, to help us heal. Uh, I know that there's been a long conversation with us and uh, especially our, our colleagues up in the UP around, you know, blood memory, you know, remembering that for black people, our relationship to water has not always been traumatic because many times for us in this country, our relationship to water begins with the Middle Passage, which killed millions of my people. Uh, for us, it, it actually continues through Jim Crow and segregation when water hoses were used to corral and to, to beat back crowds of my people standing up for their rights. Uh, it also is deeply connected to even uh, policies around segregation and, and the inability to swim in municipal pools. So you'll see a tremendous amount of black folks that don't swim uh, because they were denied access. And so as I talk about that trauma, I'm also reminded of the words from one of my other elders, uh, Professor Gwen Winston, who said that we're not staying in trauma. We're going to envision ourselves beyond trauma into transformation. And so it's been all of this working in operation, uh, being able to fall upon the words of the elders, being able to call upon our indigenous family, and also being able to learn in this moment that we've also got to advocate for our undocumented family. Uh, because what we found in doing our work in Flint is there was a tremendous number of Hispanic and Latino family members that were being denied access to water because they didn't have the documentation to get water on in their names. But then when they would go to try to retrieve water and purchase water at their local grocery stores, they were being assaulted and targeted by ICE. And so yes. all of these things are working in concert, I believe, and even in the middle of devastation and in the middle of a pandemic to raise our humanity and our consciousness that we're all deeply connected. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much. And, and speaking to water being weaponized, you know, we have all of this historic and generational trauma. And, and even in recent years, Standing Rock, I, I remember seeing all of the activists on the front lines of Standing Rock being sprayed by water and coming back and having to deal with that. And and still many of those folks have, have continued to call for the shutdown of Line 5 and have, have stood with the people of Flint and, and stood with the people of Detroit um, for their yeah. right to water. And so, yes, yeah, solidarity, absolutely. Um, and I think the artist, too, is a, is a critical part. Of, yes. of what we have to lift up in this moment because I can tell you uh, with both narratives around Detroit and Flint, uh, it would have never gotten the the notoriety in terms of, of media attention if it had not been for our media makers and our message weavers and spoken word and hip-hop artists and poets and just cultural uh, messengers and practitioners using these different intervals of time to really lift that messaging. Because when when people weren't paying any attention to what was happening in Flint, when people had decided that the bankruptcy had solved everything in Detroit, it was the, those champions, those brave souls that continued to lift the message that really kept the narrative going. And so I just don't want to leave that out of how critical it was to have that in a moment where everything had gone silent and media had been sanitized to make people forget that these things were happening. Yes, yes. Art and music always uh, at the center of, of these movements. 
Um, I also want to lift up young people and, you know, you, you were so young when you became an activist, like 12, 12 or 13, right? Yeah. Yeah. I was a baby. (laughs) (laughs) And now I know that your work, you know, is really shifting, um, into more supportive youth leadership. So what counsel do you have to share with young people right now? Well, one, I'd just like to start off by telling them how very proud I am of them. Uh, There have been so many young people, not only here in Detroit, uh, in Flint, uh, Benton Harbor, across Kalamazoo, across the state of Michigan, up in the UP. Uh, But then young people I've seen uh, just come with so much ingenuity and creativity and a willingness to work in cooperation and through the lens of self-determination. I've also Mm. been... Really just uh, my heart is just overflowing with gratitude for how much I've seen them uh, move beyond these bifurcated ideas around policy and religion and philosophy and really have just stayed laser focused on how do we solve these big, huge, looming problems and questions. And so uh, one, just kudos to them uh, Uh for understanding that this situation is not their fault. But they also are deputizing themselves to understand that it is their fight. Um, so that would be the first point. The second point I would say is to is to make sure that they have a, a spiritual anchoring, uh, whatever uh, relationship they have with the Creator, however they acknowledge and commune with the Creator. Mm. Really building that spiritual muscle in this moment because we're going to need it. Uh, because a lot of people are going to show up uh, not healed and not whole. And we've got to be able to be uh, uh, expand our capacity to love and expand and utilize our tools of kindness and compassion. Um, I would say another piece is that it is always good to get your friends before you need them. Mm. And so as we're working through what we are going to face is even more difficult days ahead. Uh, whatever relationships you have with family, with friends, continue to nurture those, continue to invest in those, because we're going to need each other as the days get harder in the days and weeks to come. And then the last point I would make is that if you don't have a mentor in your life, if you don't have an older person that is sowing into you, that is uh, investing in you and investing in your leadership and your ability to do all that the creator has called you to do, then I would strongly suggest that you find you a mentor. As a matter of fact, I have five. Mm. Uh, you know, you may not need as much help as I need, but at least get you one. Yes. I, I echo all of those points, and they've made all the difference in my life as well, Monica. Um, yes, ma'am. And we have a lot of young people listening. We, we appreciate you. We support you. Yes. And, yes, you know, we love you. We love we you. We love you. Absolutely. Yeah, all the elders ain't mad at young people. And I continue to tell old people this. Old people are people that just lived a long time. Elders are people that are sitting in a very sacred space, that are, are uh, hand-selected by the creator to do this very intentional, connected work so that young people are not having to relive the same uh, bad decisions, but they're able to build off of that work to build a better tomorrow. So uh, that's another thing that happens a lot of times. We tend to tell the young generation that we had it all figured out and just do what we say. And what we tend to believe, and we the people of Detroit, that this is about co-leadership. This is about intergenerational Mm. leadership. Mm. Because there's some things that we did extremely well, and then there's some things that we didn't do so well. 
And so we want to maximize all the talents in the space. And in the, in the scriptures, it talks about that with Nehemiah, as each one did its part, then the plan began to work. And so I just want to encourage even the elders that may be listening in mm-hmm. that there is a space for all of us. And if we will work in concert together and through cooperative work and self-determination, then we collectively will get to where we want to the promised land to be, which is on the other side of trauma and on the other side of pandemics. Mm, yes, yes. Deep gratitude to the elders listening. We appreciate you. Yes. And, and Ashe, I really appreciate that you lifted up art and, and I want to ask you on a personal level, Monica, what, how does art play a role in your life personally? What music do you listen to? How do you reach for art and creativity as like an antidote for everything you go through as a, as a cultural warrior? Oh my goodness. Uh, now, now you over into a situation now, Seth, you may not have enough time for it. Uh, I, I mean, for me, a big part is is spiritual grounding. And so, you know, between, I use everything. I use words of affirmation. I use prayer, uh, scripture, uh, other readings that I believe are inspirational and enlightening. Um, I use, in terms of my music, now that's that's deep. Now, Seth, we going somewhere. Mm. Uh, I may get into a real deep Aretha Franklin moment. Mm. Uh, just the soulfulness of her voice is soothing. Uh, I feel like there's a spiritual undertone of struggle there that I relate to. Uh, even her moans feel like it's relatable, you know? Yes. Uh, then sometimes I'm like the other day, we had a bunch of organizers out and people were feeling a little down in the dumps. So we started playing a little Frankie Beverly and Maze before I let you go. Mm. Uh, and we created something called the social distance Detroit hustle. So, uh, we all distanced ourselves six feet and we did a, a line dance that a lot of Detroiters know that was super dope. Uh, and then I, I'll go to, you know, grassroots just down in the belly of that street work. And I might throw in some Bryce Detroit. I might mm. throw in uh, a Mama Soul and mm-hmm. the Nuts from Flint. Mm-hmm. Uh, I might reach for uh, a Wheel C and yes. a Water Power. Um, I might then go back and throw back myself to somebody like uh, Nina Simone or uh, Miles Davis. I mean, it just depends on the mood of the day, uh, what is speaking to my heart. And I really try to stay in touch with that, you know, because sometimes things that we don't think have a message, the creator is trying to give us a message. Mm, mm. Thank you for this. Beautiful. Wow. Well, I want to um, ask you one more question, Monica. And, um, you know, I also want to let you know we're, we're with you in mourning and celebrating uh, Representative Isaac Robinson. Yes. You know, you all have been through so much and, and to lose him in the midst of all of this is just a, a, a heavy blow uh, and a, a lot of grief. So, you know, grieving with you and c- celebrating him with you. I, I feel like you're you're a true leader, you know, on the front lines you were you were asked to lead, you were voted in unanimously, and the people call you the water warrior, you know, and you're a warrior of love, a warrior for the people. And I love this uh mantra. I've heard you say this to people, deputize yourself. Yes, sir. 
And so, yes. And so in, in closing, how can our listeners take meaningful action in resistance and solidarity today? Yes. Well, first of all, I'd just like to say to the family, thank you so much for listening in. I uh, can't tell you how much gratitude we have for Seth and all the work that he's doing on the other side of the state to connect this, uh, connect us not only across the state, but to connect us nationally and globally. And uh, what we know is that in deputizing ourselves, what it does is it actually allows you to tap into the power that the creator has already put in each one of us. We don't have to ask permission to save ourselves. Uh, God has given us all that we need to be able to move to the other side of trauma into transformation. Uh, everything that is on the planet, the creator put the idea into man and then it manifests. And so I just would encourage the family to continue to speak life over each other, uh, that we will live and not die. That this is not the end for us, but hopefully it's the beginning of reuniting humanity across the nation and around the globe under the banner of belovedness. Mm. Uh, I'm excited about what I see beyond trauma, and I'm excited about what we're declaring and creating together beyond this trauma. And what we know is that not only is it important to turn water on, but it's going to be critical to keep water on. And one of the ways we can do that is by making water affordable. So I would ask those persons that have access to technology and phone systems still, uh, make sure that you're reaching out to the governor. Uh, Make sure that you're reaching out to your local administration and making sure that they're turning water on and making sure that they know that you're demanding that they keep water on. And then the other piece of it, I would say to your congressional leaders, there are policies and there are uh, stimulus packages being created right now. As a matter of fact, uh, the second uh, stimulus package will be voted on after April the 7th. So it's very important that people sign on and sign in to support making sure that there is a significant portion of those dollars allocated for our communities to create pathways to keep water on and also create jobs, contracts, and opportunities at the local level for our communities. So like I said, for us, this is an opportunity to sort of push the reset button, to -hmm. connect with one another. We'll definitely be sharing everything that we're learning through this process. But we also want to make sure that the family knows that uh, the struggle in Detroit and the work that we do at We the People of Detroit is not isolated to just Detroit. This is work for humanity. And I believe that we found a good fight and hopefully that more people will get in it. Yes. Thank you, Monica. And I I would just add to that, make a a donation to We the People of Detroit today. Um, Monica, thank you so much for your time. We're sending you so much courage, stamina, and most of all, love. Well, I love you, Seth, and to your listeners, stay well, and we're sending love as well. Thank you, sister. Thank you, Seth. Peace. Peace. Hero. Well, I've seen the signs and I've heard the protest songs. And it's been some time, some changes bound to come. Now I've heard some say that time heals every wound. But I can't tell, but I just can't tell if time 
can't heal this one Where are we now? Are we closer to the light? Singing in the dead of night To the left door, to the right Oh, I wonder Where are we now? State of Water is powered by the Clean Water Campaign for Michigan. This campaign represents an opportunity to help place clean water issues front and center by partnering with environmental organizations across the state, by educating voters, and by urging every candidate running for public office to make a strong stand on critical issues affecting Michigan's waters. Using storytelling and music events across the state to amplify the groundswell of public support for clean water issues, this campaign is driven by Michiganders from all walks of life who share a similar priority, protection of our water. Both State of Water and the Clean Water Campaign are programs of the Michigan-based nonprofit Title Track. Their mission, engaging creative practice to build resilient social ecological systems that support clean water, racial equity, and youth empowerment. Stay safe, stay at home, stay healthy, and look out for each other. We'll see you next time. If what you've heard in this episode resonates with you, take the first step to getting involved. Go to titletrackmichigan.org and click Contact to sign up for our mailing list. Don't miss an episode. Tune in next time.